The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world in America. The rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome to Sirius XM's Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. The Concours de Le Mans might not be immediately recognizable unless you've been there. And if you've been there, you know. You've heard of Car Week in Pebble Beach or Amelia Island or Hilton Head. But what you need to know is that the Concours de Le Mans is none of that. It's the anti-Pebble Beach, the anti-high society, the place where the regular man or woman gets a chance to showcase the car that they can actually afford, not the car that was the investment, the hobby, or the toy. Of course, it could be all of those things. It's a celebration of life and the love of car culture, moving around the country and allowing those who do not have millions to pour themselves into a hobby and really spotlight what they love the most. It moves from Chattanooga to Amelia Island to Monterey to Detroit and now ends this summer season, this car season, with its final appearance in Hilton Head. It is the first car, the Relic, the Junker, the Lemons. Handing out awards at the Concours de Le Mans is its own celebration. They celebrate the unbest, the slightly better than a go-kart, the sight for sore eyes, or the worst in show. And at the center of all of this is Tim Suttard, a publisher, a car guy, a person who's happy to celebrate your neighbor, your local automotive lover, and who created a magazine decades ago for those who feel the same way. He does not celebrate high society. Instead, every person's desire to be spotlighted among their peers, with vehicles that may not appear at the Concours at Pebble Beach, but might be at the local gas station. Tim started his publishing empire looking to make sure that everyone was on the same level, that they were acknowledged for the passion for their cars and culture. Born in 1960 in Massachusetts, Tim grew up the son and grandson of a Ford dealer. He began restoring cars at the age of 14 and still has that first car that he restored, a 1929 Ford that his grandfather had sold brand new. That success led to the formation of a second publication, Classic Motorsports, which has become America's largest publication catering to classic sports car enthusiasts. These publications led to an events business, which includes hosting the Classic Motorsports Midi, one of the oldest and largest vintage races in America. And of course, the Concours de Le Mans, which he talks about today. Today is his story, and it's the story of every man who wants every car, the lifestyle of car lovers, and the love for the industry. Tim Sutter, my guest today. I'm Tim Sutter. I'm here on Cars and Culture with Jason Stein. What a pleasure to have you on the program. It's been a little while since I've seen you. It was Monterey. It was Car Week. Uh, you were in the midst of uh, several other um, great annual events that you do uh, around Car Week. But uh, how have you been? Well, it's it's been a busy busy fall, and and uh, as you might remember, we also had a hurricane to deal with a couple of weeks, three weeks ago. That's right. That's it's, right. It's uh, been yes. real exciting. But it, the car world's back to normal now, right? Full force. I would say, yeah, I would say, you know, it it varies state by state. California was a little slower to open up than a lot of states, but um, yeah, mostly I'd say things are close to one hundred percent normal. If, if, if we even know what normal is anymore. <laughs> yeah. How did COVID change the car collector world and the, and the vintage car world and, and even, even just the gatherings that, that were so commonplace uh, at, at various events around the country? Well, I, I think, you know, the, obviously the events 
slowed down or stopped for a bit. But as far as the culture and the world, I think it ramped the knobs up to 11. I mean, prices on cars went nuts. Mm -hmm. When we came back from, you know, isolation or whatever you want to call it, we, we, I mean, people, every event I've been to is this year has been at record levels. I mean, there's a lot of pent up demand. There's and and in our world, I mean, our world changed. I mean, I, we started this, I sent everybody home. I said to my wife, you know, I said, I think this is what's going to take us out. You know, the, the digital revolution didn't, the Gulf War, 9-11, none of that stuff. You know, we survived all of that. But I said, this is what's going to take us out. I don't think we can survive. And I don't think I'm smart enough to run a company remotely. I think um, our advertisers will leave us because, you know, how do you, how do you promote an event that's got canceled, you know? And after about three, four weeks, I said, you know, have you noticed how well everything's going? Hardly anybody canceled circulation and, and web traffic has gone nuts. Our employees are happy. We're communicating better. And uh, so, I mean, it, that permanently changed our company. We're, we're selling our larger building and moving to a smaller building because everybody's happy working at home and including me. <laughs> you can see I'm here in the shop and that's where I like to be. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. And the appetite for vehicles. I mean, we've seen it on the new car side. We've had many guests on the program who've talked about that. We know the inventory situation, but we've also had some other folks on the program. Um, I think of Gord Duff from RM Sotheby's who can't even imagine where the auction prices are now and the appetite for all that. So the theme, Tim, is there was a lot of pent up demand and that's being unleashed. And now the car collector world and the, and the vintage world and the, and the, attitude around vehicles in general has just skyrocketed absolutely and it and it's also changed i mean your your emphasis isn't on the 60s british sports cars and muscle cars like it was five years ago it's it's you know i've got a 91 318 is bmw that's red hot a, a volkswagen gti with a callaway turbo an early you know a1 gti which is red hot so i mean your your younger people are coming in you know, it's, it just makes sense. Your 85 year old is not out there actively looking, you know, and I'm generalizing, but they're, they're not actively going, Oh my God, I need 20 more cars where your 40 year old, your 50 year olds coming into their peak earning years. And they're going, Oh, it's playtime. You know, we kind of say with, especially with classic motorsports, you got your kids out of college, your mortgage is paid off. It's playtime. And, that, you know, that's the reality of life. And it's just, you know, whether you get a motor home and start traveling cross country or, you know, get that car you always wanted from your high school years, it's, it's playtime. And, and the playtime is different for today than it was, you know, two decades ago. Yeah. And the freedom of mobility, too, was also heightened uh, during the, the, you know, the, the midst of COVID. And the fact that you could actually have a family vacation again in a vehicle. Yeah. All of these things that had seemingly gone by the wayside. So you're a publisher. How's the publishing business been for you? Well, uh, good and bad. Uh, on the plus side, our, our classic motorsports circulations up like 36% this year. Our grassroots circulations up not quite as much, but very good. But on the downside, our printers saying don't sell any more subscriptions because we can't get paper for you. Ink has gone up 14%. Postage and shipping has gone up for everybody. So, you know, um, I actually wrote a column a, a couple, three months ago and said to, to our readers, we're going to have to raise the, you know, we've kept the $20 price point for uh, 20, 
something years. And I said, we're going to have to raise, I hate to do it. We're going to have to raise the prices. And, and, um, and if, if, you know, if you're not willing to pay it, we're going to, you know, move to just events or digital or something. And our readers, they, they screamed loud letter after letter after letter. We don't really care what it costs. Keep doing what you're doing. So I think, I think there's a, you know, there's less car magazines in the world. And I think, people are going, oh, if we don't support car magazines, they're going to go away. And car magazines are cool. So, so you, you know, overall, things are good. Uh, we're certainly not taking money to the in a bank in droves, but uh, we're, we're remaining viable and, and we've adjusted our prices and we're going to have a real good year in 23. You decided a long time ago that America's car magazines focused way too much on folks who had a lot of money. And there wasn't enough, there wasn't the, well, I'll use your term, there wasn't the grassroots representation uh, that exists. And you wanted a magazine that was, that was focused on regular people who liked fixing their cars and buying cars and, and wanted to be around cars. How has that changed? Well, the, the star, I mean, I, yeah, I was a broke ass kid. I was 24 years old. I was fixing up a 240Z, you know, didn't have two nickels to rub together. And I love car magazines. I go buy a car magazine. It, all I wanted to do is tell me how my new Porsche turbo, how fast it was zero to 60 or how awesome my new Ferrari would be. And I'm like, how, how does that help a broke ass kid with a 240Z? And I was like, <laughs> we used to have sports car graphic back in the day. It was a little more down to earth and, and, and I liked that. And, uh, so, you know, we said, yeah, why don't, why don't we start something, uh, and, and motorsports oriented too. I was into autocrossing and then got into road racing and we, um, you know, we wanted to talk more about that, not just street use. And as far as today, uh, you know, when we started, there was the SCCA, there was EMRA, a club, a regional club up in the, uh, Northeast a Midwest council and a couple of others. There was no NASA. There was no, there was hardly any track day type stuff. There was hardly any racetracks. I mean, there's almost twice as many racetracks today as it was 40 years ago. Um, there's dozens, if not hundreds of different groups, sanctioning bodies, you know, there's Porsche club racing, there's BMW club racing. None of this stuff existed when we started, I mean, I'd like to say it certainly made us successful, but I'd like to think that, you know, we might've helped make all this stuff grow. And, and, you know, I'd go to the SEMA show back in the mid eighties and I'd talk about road racing and autocross and they'd look at me like I had two heads. They'd be like, wait a minute, cars can only go left. They don't go right and left or straight. They go straight. And I'm like, ah, you people are frustrated. Now, now you go to the SEMA show, and, you know, the whole muscle car movement has moved towards like the Optima uh, streetcar challenge. And, you know, the whole world has moved to where we are rather than us moving to turning left. So and, and I'm, that stuff's doing well, too. But but, uh, I'm, yeah, the, the world has changed immensely. It's a huge market. And PRI recognizes it. SEMA recognizes it. The new car manufacturers, um, you know, when they're building stuff like Subaru WRXs and you know, new Corvettes and Porsche 911s, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's come our way. How about culture? I mean, when you think about the addition of things like cars and coffee on weekends, that certainly didn't exist when I was a kid, but now I I think that's generational. I mean, you know, guys, my age, we, we read an ad in the back of road and track. We, you know, we sent our 15 bucks in to be in the triumph club, Porsche club, whatever it was. We got our little newsletter 
we maybe went to a convention and, you know, we, and, and, and car show people, we'd sit our lawn chairs out. And I, I never did. I never did the whole lawn chair sitting out, listening. People ask the same damn questions all day long. It was not my scene. I, I was more comfortable at a track event, but you know, the, the world has changed the, you know, people say, Oh, young people aren't into cars. That's crap. They're totally into cars. They're just in it. And not the way, you know, my generation was into it. So, you know, they want to be on an internet group. They want to learn how to take a Volvo turbo and put it on a Mazda or this or that, you know, just how to junkyard engineer stuff. And, you know, what we specialize in and they want to do cars and coffees. I go to a import Carlisle swap meet every year and show and, it's so cool to see, you know, 50 kids with, you know, kids, I'm saying 20, 30 year olds, a shit, uh, oh, I'm sorry, a 40 year olds, a kid for me these days, but, you know, they'll get together and meet each other. They're on internet groups. They meet each other for the first time at an event. They have a good time. They drink beer. They swap lies. You know, it, it's a, it's totally, you know, cars and coffee. The whole culture has changed in the 40 years I've been in it. Has well, the definition of a classic motorsport changed as well? I mean, I'm I'm sure it has. You've 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 been involved in uh, you know one of the oldest and largest vintage races in America. You know the Midi. Yeah. Um, so what is what is a what now is a classic motorsport? That's that's evolving. Yeah, that's certainly evolving. I mean, you've got groups like the VSC uh, VSCCA up in the Northeast, and they're very. I don't want to say stodgy, but I mean, their, their rules keep, I mean, I had a 57 Triumph TR3 and they're like, that's too common and new. I was like, it's been a race car since 59. How can that not be a vintage race car? Uh, HSR, I think's taken the lead on that. Although uh, SVRA has got spec Miata is now a vintage class. So, I mean, a Miata is a 30 year old car now. It's that's, a, you know, we were writing about MGBs, which stopped in 1980, 20 years ago, and it was only a 20 year old car. I was like, well, Miata can never be a classic. It is. Wake up and smell. Yeah, it now it is. Sure. (laughs) So, um, yeah, HSR kind of took the lead. You know, you've got – and racing changed, too, because, uh, you know, in the 60s, the British cars dominated. In the 70s, Nissan dominated. And then by the 80s, Porsche really started to dominate. In the 90s, I mean, you go back to the 24 hours of Daytona, it was almost all Porsches 20 years ago. Well, those are now old race cars. So, you know, HSR is, is being dominated by these same cars. So, you know, it's it's a natural progression. There's nothing wrong. I mean, people like to bitch about stuff, but there's nothing wrong. It's just it's just time marches on. It's common sense. Yeah, exactly. Who's doing uh you you have such an amazing purview over the entire um industry and and the culture that exists here. Which manufacturers are doing well to preserve culture and nurture culture and, and keep cars and culture on the top of everyone's mind? Yeah, it's been funny. It's, 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 it comes and goes. I mean, Mazda was absolutely at the top of the game. I mean, quite honestly, they, they've had some management changes, and I, I think they've slipped. Um, you know, Porsche has always been there. They've got Porsche Classic Center, so they are certainly at the top of the game as far as preserving classics. You know, Ford, I, I guess, is is certainly, you know, they're at, I mean, Jim Farley's, I mean, I know he's been on your show. He's, he's a, a friend of mine, and he's certainly done a lot to to preserve Ford's heritage. He's out there at racing. He, you know, he's very involved. So I got to give kudos to him. I would say those are probably the top, top right now, in my opinion. I mean, there may be others I don't know about, but it's not Tesla, I'll tell you that. 
<laughs> I was just about to get to them. So, <laughs> so, so much conversation. Uh, and, you know, when you and I were, were at Car Week in Monterey, we saw a ton of it as well. So much, so much um, attention and consternation and hand wringing and whatever else around some startups, you know, and I wouldn't consider Tesla a startup anymore, but certainly the Lucids and the Vinfasts and the uh, and the Rivians. What's your opinion on 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 their place in car culture? Well, first, Monterey Car Week, especially um, the the Quail on Friday, is the absolute fiesta of cars I've never seen or never heard. You know, they only seem to exist on the internet. You know, I mean, I mean, it, it's amazing these different brands and the prices they're charging. And you know, I don't know how many of them sell sell a car. Uh, I'm not saying Lucid and, and Rivian certainly are real. Uh, that Lucid is is you know I, I haven't driven one. I've sat in one. It's pretty darn nice. Um, I'm not an electric car hater. Um, I don't have one. Um, it's obviously happening, you know, the pace at which it happened. I mean, right now, I think something like 3% of people drive electric cars. And if tomorrow it changed to 97%, you know, I don't want to get into politics, but we'd have some huge issues. The infrastructure is obviously not there for an instant change, but I mean, you know, electric cars were winning the race 120 years ago, too. So, I mean, you know, it was electric steam and, and, and gasoline powered. So, you know, it is a shift. It is happening. It will happen. It's probably a good thing. You know, if it happens over 50 years, we'll probably be fine. And if it happens over five years, we're pretty screwed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to get into some of the fun stuff that you're a part of. And uh, let's first talk about the Concours de Le Mans. As they would say yes. in France, or or as they say here, Concours de Lemons. And uh, I was just recently introduced to the whole idea. But uh, digging in, you celebrate, and you you are the head judge. This is an event, uh, multiple events, where you celebrate the oddball, the mundane, the truly awful of the entire automotive world. You celebrate the unbest, from yeah. Chattanooga to Amelia Island to Monterey to Detroit. And you hand out awards that say things like slightly better than a go-kart or sight for sore eyes. Uh, and you've interviewed people who praise the $50 that they've paid for the vomit comet that, yeah. that is, uh, you know, rolls onto the, uh, onto the lawn. It's the anti-Monterey to some extent. It's the anti-quail or a yeah. different quail. I mean, Tell I me mean, about it. It kind of got, I think it got started. I know I've been there since the start. I was, but um it it wasn't my well it sort of was my idea in that we started an event back in 1999 called the two thousand dollar challenge and i got so tired every you know every cocktail party everywhere i went it's like oh geez you're so lucky you're rich you go racing i could never go racing i couldn't afford to do that and i got so tired of it we started this event called the two thousand dollar challenge and it kind of you know, i don't know if we were copied, you know, every idea has an idea before it. So, but we started somewhere, we did a drag race and autocross and a, and a wacky car show for cars that had to be built and, and modified and prepped for 2000. Didn't include the travel costs to get there. And, um, you know, we did this the first year, three staffers built cars because we knew nobody would get it or show up for it. We had like 25 cars show up. It was a, it was a hoot. We loved it. We're doing it. We've been doing it since. As a matter of fact, we're doing it this weekend. Uh, Tire Rack is now the presenter, and CRC, which makes Bright Clean, is involved. And uh, 
Miller, uh, Welder. So I mean, it's now a big you deal. Got, you got professional. You got you oh, got yeah. like, all oh, yeah. up with it. Yeah, we sold out. <laughs> no, no, but um, no, it just they provide prizes and stuff and help fund sure. the thing. But uh, so that started it. Uh, then came the 24 hours of lemons racing. Uh, Jay Lamb, who is a dear friend of mine, started that. And then he sold, or, or I think he pretty much gave the rights to, to do it to Alan Galbraith, who started the Concord de Lemons. I was there at the first one. It was actually sponsored by another magazine. Um, let's, you know, everybody gives bribes and a lot of the bribes are liquor. And now with, uh, with weed being legal in California and other places, we see that too. And um, so it doesn't make for sober judging. And uh <laughs> <laughs> Trying to be delicate here. Um, the first year, Alan, um, let's say he was overserved from the bribes, and and I helped him sort the whole thing out and the results and and that. And uh, and he won't deny this. And uh, I said to him afterwards, I said, you know, I don't want anything for this, but next year it's going to have our magazine's name on it, Classic Motorsports, and not that other magazine. He said, yes, it yes it will. So it has ever since. Haggerty now owns it. I helped Alan put that together so that uh, that could happen. And um, so where were we going with this? Year? Why do why do people like it so much? I mean, you you, oh, you yeah. folks showing so, up with their their the ultimate lemon. I mean, it's you know, it's a derogatory term when you buy a new car that doesn't work out. But this this is all celebrated. Yeah. Well, Pebble Pebble's very serious. Uh, I, I was talking to J, you know Jay Leno about this. He's he's a friend of mine, but. He said, you know, he judged once at Pebble and people screamed at him. People tear up their hotel rooms if they don't win. I mean, it's all very serious. You know, rich people are used to getting what they want. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have, I'd be careful here, but national audience. But I mean, it's the reality you know, people. Some people take things way too seriously. So the whole thing is is kind of a, and we love Pebble. I think it's, you know, that and Amelia Island Concord, yeah. the most amazing shows I've ever maybe Goodwood, but the most amazing events I've ever been to, but. But your know, event's rich with irony. It's, yeah, it's yeah, all yeah, ironic. That's, that's kind of the point. And, and also it's for every man. I mean, you know, you can't get a car into, you know, you, as Leno said, you know, I hate, I hate as a single digit millionaire, which probably isn't true, but I hate comparing uh, competing against billionaires as a single digit millionaire. At, at <laughs> And good joke. So this, it is well. He's a, he's a, got a lot of good. It's kind of what he does. The good joke. But uh, so you know, it's it's for for every man. Um, and some people take it very seriously because we, you know, we, uh, uh, Alan and I MC the thing, and we pick on people. We go, you know, people take they'll have a '74 Maverick four door with the big bumpers, and it's absolutely perfect. It's the nicest one on the planet. And and as far as they're concerned, it's a Ferrari or a a Bentley, it's that important to them. And we're kind of like, come on, really? <laughs> Are you serious here? <laughs> so, and, um, but I, I mean, I, you know, right now I'm restoring a Bug Eye Sprite, which is a, is a cheap car, was a cheap car, is a cheap car. And I like cheap cars, you know, it's fun. It's, it's cute. My, my wife's like, you know, it's the same amount of time and money pretty much to restore an E-Type or a Shelby, you know, a little bit higher buy-in but as far as the process of restoring the car is the same so you might as well restore something that's worth something but these people don't either because 
they like that kind of, you know, and a lot of this is about what you had when you were a kid, you know, you know, I mean, I had a buddy with a 67 Buick Skylark and we did some bad things in that car. I remember it I fondly and I still like this car. So I think everybody's <laughs> kind of like that. It's about what you had back then. So, but yeah. Why did, why did Mikhail Haggerty, why, why was he interested? And we've had Mikhail and soon on this program um, just prior to this uh, acquisition. What was interesting for them? Because they're involved in Amelia Island and all these lavish, beautiful, you know. Well, McKeel, I know McKeel quite well. I consider him a friend and I've interviewed him uh, on our channel and um, I've known him for years. They're one of our biggest customers. And uh, he's first off, he's a real car guy. And also it gets probably more media attention than anything else in Monterey because it's funny. It's interesting. You know, it's a goof and, and, you know, that's an easier story to write than some rich guy run, you know, one pebble yet again, or something like that. (laughs) So, um, no, I think it's, it's, it's a good business model for them. Um, you know, it wasn't terribly expensive either, but it's a good, good business for them because it gets media attention and it shows that they're real car people. And it also shows that, that Haggerty, you know, if you've got a 74 Maverick and you love it, Haggerty will insure it. And they do. And I, have my cars insured with them they do a great job sadly i've had to make one or two claims and they're right on the spot with that stuff Hmm. you travel around the country with this event i'm guessing at every stop the participants are just as excited as any other place to be there they they they, they look for it the difference is there's more of these cars out west you know in, in michigan they've rusted away pretty badly although we see some rusty crap at 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 monterey too but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, this this love is is universal, and and there's two kinds of people at at Concord de Limon. It is uh, people that are dead serious. I mean, Alan is, you know, he's pissed off the Alante, the Alante Cadillac Alante group. Not a great car, but I mean, they they were flaming him. They were like, "You're the devil! How dare you pick on our amazing cars?" Uh, you know, some of the Corvair clubs and they're like, you know, take their cars very, you know, I've had a 63 Monza Spider. I think they're cool cars, but you know, are, are they in the same league as, is a 911 Porsche or Shelby Mustang? Eh, not so much. So, you know, I mean, so there's people that take it very seriously, the cars anyway. And, but most everybody, you know, they'll bring some kooky junker or, and they get the joke, you know? Yeah. So, well, they dress up. I mean, uh, I oh yeah, oh, some yeah. of the it's, videos it's, that are out there are fabulous. It's a, it's a riot, and, and and Alan and I love emceeing it. We have a blast with it. So, yeah, we have to take the show there next time for sure. After the break, I'll continue my conversation with publisher Tim Sutter. And to see my interview with Tim, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Like and subscribe to see some 75 episodes. Automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world in America. The rich history of car culture runs deep. As technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein, former publisher of Automotive News, is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars. From industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome back. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. Now the continuation of my conversation with publisher Tim Sutter. And to see my interview with Tim, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Like and subscribe to see some 75 episodes. You have other things too. I mean, you have the Halloween Hoopty Fest. Um, there, there, is that, there is that 24 hour of Le Mans with the $500 cars now. So there's a home here. 
for anybody who, you know, like, as you said, can't afford the, you know, the track time and, and, and the technical team and, and, and everything else here, but, but they can really showcase their passion and their love of these vehicles in various ways. The Uh, whole point is inclusive, not exclusive. That's, that's the point. And, you know, um, you know, the, you don't need to be snotty with people. You don't need to be elitist. Uh, even our classic motorsports tours that we do, you know, a lot of these different tours say, you, you know, you have to have a car this old. If you love it, you think it's a classic, we'd love to have you. You know, we're more interested in good people than, you know, amazing car. You know, I mean, we get amazing cars. What I'm saying is we like cool people that like having fun with their cars. So pretty much everything our brands are are down to earth and inclusive. I mean, it's it's kind of the way the way we roll. It's just you know the way I was grown up and you know raised. And so, well, it's kind of you anyway. I was going to say your first car, a '67 Mustang Fastback. You bought it for a hundred bucks, right? You fixed yeah. it. Up. You sold it for eight hundred bucks. Oh yeah, it was a big deal. You know, That's back in the deal. back in the mid '70s, you know, all this this old Mustang stuff. My my friends, my parents were like this stuff's never going to be worth any. Why would you care about a 10 year old Mustang? And it's like, you don't get it. It's, it's amazing. It's going to, it's going to be big. And, you know, I kept buying and selling them. And finally I, I bought a, a 66 GT 350 Hertz model for 2,700 bucks in 78 or nine. Yeah. 79. And um, came with a 65 Mustang parts car, which that alone is worth 10 or 15 grand right now, a fastback. And I sold the thing for, for seven grand and everybody thought I was a genius in 1982. Well, turns out I wasn't a genius since it's a $250,000 car now, probably, but I used that money to, to start our media company. Yeah. But somebody, the best automotive advice that you've provided, this will be um, breaking news for everybody, right? But buy low and sell high, but buy (laughs) buy the best you can afford. Yeah. And, and we do the opposite because if we buy a perfect car, then what's the, what's the story? Oh, we're rich bastards. And we brought, bought a perfect car. Aha, you can't. So that's not, you know, I bought a, a Lotus that was literally broken in half. Um, and um, I found it in a field in Michigan. It had been sitting out there for almost 40 years and I got it for essentially nothing. I got two cars. I sold one for more than I paid for both and then restored the car. I called Bill Warner, who's running Amelia Island Concours at the time. And he said, I got a publicity stunt for you. You see this broken in half Lotus that's been out in the field. I'll have it on the field at Amelia in two years. And we'll write, uh, we'll write about it, document the whole process. And he said, love it. Let's do it. Hmm. So, you know, that's kind of what we do. Of course, now I've done a few of those and now I'm like, gotten pretty well known for buying absolutely unrestorable cars and restoring them. And I'm like, no, 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 that was a publicity stunt. I don't want to do that anymore. It's a horrible idea. Buy the best car you can buy, you know, you can afford. You've restored over 40 vehicles. Is that right? Actually, I, I, I just was the, the guest of honor, grand marshal, whatever you want to call it at the national triumph convention. So I had to refresh my speech and I'm up to 50 now. 50. Yeah, full or partial restorations. I don't do all the work myself, but that is, you know, that's, that's one of the projects behind me. And I do a lot of it myself. I, you know, I'm not in this to become a billionaire. I'm in this because I love cars. I like learning about cars. I like meeting the different people. And, you know, if you'd have told me as a teenager growing up in a Ford dealership, 
that I'd be the caretaker for 25 cars and I'd know all these different people. And I'd have said, come on, that's, that's not, you know, Peter Brock writes for us. He's a legend. I read about him in the day. Now I talk to him three times a week. It's, you know, that kind of stuff. It, you, you know, how do you make that up? Yeah, it's amazing. Where is the car world going as it relates to restoration with the entrance of vehicles that are becoming just harder to fix? Um, I don't think that's true. Um, in a lot of ways, um, the modernization, you know, car manufacturers have gotten better at putting them together. Um, and I think what you'll have is the people that designed these electric components from the power window motors to the ECUs, these people are alive still, uh, but they'll retire and they'll start cottage industries. I mean, I just talked to a guy um, a couple of days ago, the ABS pump is failed on the 91 BMW and he rebuilds the ABS pump for about 400 bucks. So there's a lot of these little cottage guys that are taking different parts from these cars. So I don't, I don't foresee a major crisis. Honestly, the bigger problem right now is like E36 M3, the interior panels and stuff are, are rubbish. They were then, they are now. And that kind of the interior trim, some of that stuff's gotten harder to find. It's it's almost more that than the mechanical components at this point. Now, you know, I'm not trying to restore a, a 2023 Ford Lightning pickup might be a different matter but, <laughs> or a Tesla or something like that. But at this point, the stuff from the 90s and the aughts is not proven. You know, there's there's always, if there's a need, you know, that's the American spirit. If there's a need, somebody will figure it out and fill it. Like the guy building uh, the ABS pumps. Is there a segment that you see booming more than others, whether it's, you know, now kids interested in 90s Japanese vehicles? Um, you know, that's that's sort of, at least when I was a you know uh, a young man in the '90s, that yeah they they were somewhat appealing, but boy are they hot now for 17 and 18 year olds. Yeah, that's hot. The other thing, I mean, I, I've been a BMW guy. I, mean, I, I like a lot of different cars, but uh, pretty much all cars except uh, Studebaker Avantis. So I don't care for them. <laughs> <laughs> My buddy Dave Kinney's gonna if he listens to this, he's gonna he's got about twelve of them or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. He's, a, he's the guy that does the Haggerty Buyers Guide. He's an Avanti freak, um, and by freak I mean freak. But um, so anyway, the uh, the you know I was I like BMWs, and I'm like, why aren't BMWs valuable? And then first, you know, 2002 started to pop E30, and an E30 M3 sold on bring a trailer last week for about 182,000. Now this this happens like as soon as one sells for that price, you don't know the details. Everybody in the world that has a clapped out salvage title E30 M3 says, "Oh, my car is worth 200 grand." No, it's not. But now, I mean, uh, I was I, I drove an E36 M3. I've had them in the past, but I drove one a couple of weeks ago on our Golden State tour that we do. Fell back in love as I knew I would. And started looking for one. I mean, that was a eight, ten, twelve thousand dollar car for decades, or a couple of decades anyway. That's not that's not the case anymore. That a nice one of those, well, a real nice one sold for almost a hundred grand last week or two weeks ago on Bring a Trailer, and a, and a nice one's thirty, forty thousand, fifty, sixty thousand, depending. You know, there, there's a what I don't think people understand is there's collector grade cars. I mean, I just picked up a, an 07 uh, 911 Carrera. A 24,000 original miles, guards red, which is a good color. 
um, absolutely flawless, you know, pretty close to a number one car is basically walk, goes onto a Concours field and goes back into the trailer. It's that nice. And, and most cars are not number one condition. If you're re a really, really nice, you know, show winner, at least at a local regional level is a number two car, but this car is really nice. And, and those cars, those cars bring the big money, you know, and so when you see something sell for twice, three times what it should, it's the collector wants that car. He does not want one with issues. He does not want one that's been repainted or has been crashed um, or high mileage. So that's a that's almost a different kind of car than a, than a normal, you know, a car for normal people. I have that 07911, by the way, a 997. Huh? <laughs> it's a wonderful car, and I haven't sold it yet. But if I was no. going to sell it, I'd probably sell it on Bring a Trailer. Let's yeah. talk about that for a second. Uh, we've had Randy on the on the show uh, last year. Tell me about that phenomena of Bring a Trailer well, and what it's done. Randy's a friend. Uh, we helped him get started. I liked it right away. Uh, it originally started as a um, as just a site where he posted stuff that he found on eBay and other places. And then he started the auction format. And I sent him a note and said, Randy, you're an idiot. You've ruined everything. Bad idea. You had a good thing going. And then obviously I was an idiot. I was wrong. It took right <laughs> off. About four, five, six months later, I sent him another note saying, yep, I might have been the idiot there. You're a genius. <laughs> and, and he sold it and got a lot of money. And uh, well, I think the key to it is, um, you know, first off, the technology allows that now. You know, we say, oh, why didn't I think about this 20 years ago? And actually, just as eBay was starting back in the 90s, I was um, late 90s. I was talking to somebody about starting a rival auction site. And thank God I didn't. I would have probably got, got whooped. But, um, the, the, you know, the technology wasn't there. It's there now. But what makes Bring a Trailer work is what some of the people hate. They have all the comments, you know. Because you get a lot of trolls and idiots that say, you know, they're never going to bid on anything and they'll bitch about something. But you also get a lot of knowledgeable people. Um, and I buy and sell on on Bring a Trailer. Uh, I look at it every day. I'll admit it. Um, and you you get a lot of knowledgeable people that really make you feel confident about the car. But it's hard to steal anything there. You know, you're not going to it's hard to steal anything anywhere. You used to be, you'd see a car in a garage under a tarp and, and, you know, the owner thought it was worth, you know, I, I bought Porsche 914s and stuff for 200 bucks, you know I mean? But those days are gone because, yeah. you know, first you've got stuff like the Haggerty value. It's in about three seconds, you can find out roughly what a car is worth if you're not too lazy to do so, you know, that wasn't as easy to do back then. And, uh, and the, and the values are changing quickly too. They didn't, you know, the, the things stayed in the ten fifteen thousand dollar range for years and years and years and years, and that's just not the case anymore. So, um, but yeah, I think the comments, uh, the audience, you know, when he started, first time I talked to him about it, we, you know, we'd done marketing together. He had an audience of about thirty five thousand people early on. It's a little bigger than that now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no kidding. It's watched incredibly closely. Yeah. Where does the uh, car, you know, the vintage car scene? Where does it, where does it move? What do you, what are you looking forward to over the next couple of years? And what are maybe some of your goals and ambitions? Well, my ambition, my son is now part owner of the company. And my ambition is to screw off more 
with cars <laughs> and not, not work 60 hours a week anymore. <laughs> you know, uh, personally, uh, no, I have about 25 cars. Uh, I'd like to perfect a few, uh, maybe sell a couple, add a couple and, uh, you know, spend a little more time enjoying them personally, as far as the hobby itself. Um, you know, everybody's scared about something. Oh, we're not going to have fuel for our cars. Oh, we're not going to be allowed to drive these cars on the street. I, I'm always a, you know, the glass is half full kind of guy, not the glass is half empty. I mean, I'm not saying there are no problems, but at least in my lifetime, I, I don't see any major problems. I don't, you know, I, I people are like, are we going to have a, a, a downturn? You know, cars haven't really had a downturn. I, I mean, as far as an investment, you know, it's a tangible asset you can have fun with, you know, stocks and bonds aren't that really fun to play with. Um, and they, you know, there's so much fluctuation when, when there's, you know, like now when there's fluctuation in the market, I think, you know, I'm not a stock, stock expert, but I think people move to hard assets and cars are hard assets. And the other thing that's changed is, is a car was considered a, it was not a, a it was not an asset you could get rid of um, quickly. And that's changed. I mean, it used to be if you wanted to sell a car, you know, if you were investing in a car and you wanted to sell it, you had to put an ad in Hemmings or one of our magazines and you'd send letters back and forth and you'd go take pictures and you'd go to get them developed and you'd send them to the guy. And, you know, it was a huge thing. This is, you know, this was before eBay, bring a trailer and everything else, auction companies. I mean, there's always been auction auto companies. trader, auto trader. Yeah. I mean, that was the way you bought and sold cars. It was a horrible, horrible, you know, uh, process, uh, inconvenient, you know, uh, flawed for sure. And today, I mean, if you have an emergency come up, uh, a car is a very liquid asset. It's not been considered a liquid asset. I think it's a liquid asset. I can get rid of anything in my collection in 30 days. So, yeah. So I think that's a fundamental change. I think it makes it helps make it a better investment. Um, and then, you know, it, it's, you have such, you know, the audience is so much larger for this stuff and, and Haggerty and the sanctioning bodies have been, have been, advocates of this and have helped spread the world so i think you know i think they they published something a few years ago and said something like one in seven people has an old car or a classic car in their garage and i said that's nuts and i started driving around and now that could be a 74 ford pickup they're not all ferraris but somebody has what they consider a toy classic car every seven times you know every, once one in seven people so Are are there still barn finds out there? We went and looked through Bruce Myers' garage in LA uh, a number of months ago, and he showed us the barn find that's worth about $2 million. Yeah. Are there Gee, still barn finds out yeah. there? Why would you go to a junky place like that? Yeah, right. <laughs> oh my God, that, that guy's collection is amazing. <laughs> it's been viewed a few times. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there are, I mean, it's, it's harder. I mean, you know, you know, communication has changed so much in our world in the last 50 years that that is more difficult. It still happens. I still, you know, I still stumble on stuff occasionally, but I mean, you know, back in the day, I, I bought a race winning Triumph TR3, won the Daytona 24 hours, it's class 
three times or twice and and and, and picked it up for like 4800 bucks you know situation you know right time right place uh, but that doesn't happen that much anymore it's it's uh, but i mean you still have you know i bought a uh, i'm restoring an elva um, mark 6 it's a that was the first mid-engine sports uh, uh, not sports car but a sports racer and uh, the car was um, the guy had it up in his rafter in pieces and he said yeah i'm never going to get to it just take the damn thing hmm. and um you know, and, and yeah, for very little money. And um, I go, I go home, I, I get a hold of the, the registry for the Elvis and they said, Oh my God, you found the factory Sebring car from 62. Wow. And I called the guy back. I knew him. I said, you dumbass, you could have figured this out too. And he says, ah, don't worry about it. I'm over it. I'm, you know, so sometimes people are just over it. You know, they want it out of their garage, you know, every people's situations change every day, you know, their health, their, their manner, they, you know, what they want, what's important to them. And I've, I've bought cars where the guy said, you know, I've had 50 people asked to buy this car, but I just decided last week I'm going to sell it. You can have, it. you know, that kind of thing. So, um, and, and we all have these stories about, you know, trying to buy a car for years and years. And finally the guy, or, or it's gone, you go buy it and, you know, the guy tells you I'll sell it to you. And then he sells it to somebody else. We all have these stories, you know, so, but the, but the point is that things change constantly. Uh, so this does still happen occasionally, but not as much as it used to. What do you want in your garage? 289 Cobra. Okay. All right. I'm in hopes this show's going to make me enough money that, that I can do that. <laughs> no, it's, it's, you know, growing up in a Ford dealership, uh, I knew Carol Shelby, not super well, but I knew him. We did yeah. some ad stuff for him and, and, uh, you know, that's always been my dream car. Um, you know, white's okay. Blue, blue, red interior. That'd be okay. Dark blue, dark yeah, red. Yeah. Gray, gray wires, you know, nothing specific. I, <laughs> I think, and I have a real Shelby Mustang and I have a real Sunbeam Tiger. That's as close as I've been able to get. And it seems like every time I make another buck, they go up two bucks, but, uh, <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, that, that, that would be the ultimate, you know, I'm not a big Ferrari guy or, you know, Maserati. You know, I like all that stuff, but I like simpler, you know, I, I guess I'm kind of a redneck. So it's, it's kind of the redneck sports car. So are you a, uh, just a couple of final things, Tim, are you yeah. a, do you consider yourself a guardian or a caretaker or a creator of car culture? You know, I, I don't like to take myself too seriously. I don't, you know, I mean, I guess, I mean, a lot of people have had some effect on something and, and I guess running a media company biggest in the segments we serve for, for almost 40 years, I, I have had some effect. I, I would certainly, you know, like to be remembered as somebody that tried to help and tried to do good and not, you know, just, you know, give rather than just take. Um, but I think we're all caretakers. I mean, anybody that thinks that this is their car doesn't really understand how life works that well. Right. It's just renting. I mean, we, yeah, we're, we're just caretakers and you know what we do. And, and I, and I just makes me mad when people are like, won't give something up, you know, they're, they're like, it's, it's outside, it's rotting. They're 85, 90 years old. Oh yeah. I'm going to restore it someday. Come on, do the math, dude. <laughs> let it go. Let, let, you know, let some younger person enjoy it, you know? Um, uh, that's good. It's maddening, but that's, you know, it's, it's part of what we deal with. One of, I, I read somewhere that one of your favorite books is by Walter Henry Nelson, Small Wonder. 
Yeah. yeah. Why is that? Um, well, I think the Volkswagen story is, is, and I, the only Volkswagen I have is I have a Myers Manx, original Myers Manx dune buggy, which I think is cool. Um, I think it's, it's a neat, a friend, Andy Reed gave me that book once, which was a nice gesture. And, uh, it's a, um, it really tells the story. I, and it, it, it's, it tells the story a lot about what was going on in Germany. Uh, and we could learn right now in this country, we could learn something from what was going on. And, you know, again, don't want to get political, but come on, the Nazi thing, we solved that once. Let's not, let's not do that again. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean you know, the, the whole, the whole propaganda thing, oh man, it, it, it's, if everybody would read that book, America might be a better place. And, and the way the reconstruction and how the factory uh, got handed off between America and England and what happened, it's a pretty darn cool book. I think it's out of print, but it's, it's a, it's a real interesting story. Um, they basically scammed the German public into buying coupons to have one of these cars I guess after you know they deliver them after the war. And, after the war, right? You know, they, yeah. they it's it's just an intro. You know, a lot of there's a lot of cool car stories. That's one of the coolest I've read. Hmm. Your parting advice is enjoy what you do, enjoy playing with your cars. But here's the best part: be nice to people. Yeah, it certainly it certainly is. You know, I, I you know don't take this. We're having fun with cars. It's not that serious. You know? <laughs> And I've won a few, I've lost a few, but you know, I, I've never, you know, wrecked a hotel room or anything. Don't, don't tear a hotel room up. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> That's the thing I take from this interview is don't yeah. tear a hotel right. room, especially if you have a right. lot of money. Right. Oh, and the other thing too, is that rich people typically get what they want. <laughs> I yeah. Love it. yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Tim, you've been... look, look at the NFL owners and you know, that they're, they're yeah. like, you, you know, you want to have a meeting with those guys? No, no. Tim, you have been a pleasure to have on the, on the well, program. Well, it was a lot of Thanks. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate the invite. You are, you are, I will say you are a guardian of cars and culture. So well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to publisher Tim Suttard. And to see my interview with Tim, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. Like and subscribe to see some 75 episodes. And thanks for listening to Cars and Culture. You can follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook, as well as on Instagram at Cars and Culture SXM and on Twitter at Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein in Detroit. We'll see you down the road. Morning, sunshine. I'm Robin Mead. Let's jump right in and get you ready. Morning Express on HLN is the bright way to start your day. Some of the other top stories today that we're following for you. With the latest news that affects you. There may be a breakthrough for a stimulus deal. People are being advised to cancel or postpone outdoor activities. Thank you for letting us be the ones to start your day. Morning Express with Robin Mead. Weekdays from 6 to 10 a.m. Eastern on HLN, Sirius XM 117. Hey, this is Karen Hunter, and at Urban View, we have a family of tough people. We are about making change. Who are willing to not just work, but they have a vision. We demand that the people take action. Use their power to make change. That's what really Urban View and the Madison Show is all about. We invite you and we challenge you to create the world you want to live in. It's not your typical talk channel. Urban View, Sirius XM 126. 
Comedy Central Radio brings you the biggest names in comedy. And Monday through Thursday, listen to The Bonfire. It's The Bonfire, everybody. With Big J Okerson and Dan So. It is a cavalcade of fun. Children should not be hearing this, but you should if you're an adult. The Bonfire. Every Monday through Thursday, starting at 6 p.m. East. Yeah, feeling great. Pretty crazy. Exclusively on Comedy Central Radio. Sirius XM 95. Back in full effect. I mean, we're all back full effect. Or listen anytime on the Sirius XM app.